and welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, and uh, you'll have to forgive me a bit, Adam, if I seem a bit tired, and it's not uh, from the heat or anything, it's from uh, trying to remind people that COVID's still a thing. <laughs> Yeah, that's been, that's been my week, several <laughs> weeks, but it, it seems to be coming to a head. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. I guess maybe that's a topic for another show. But Yeah, that might be a topic for another show, and it's going to probably get a whole lot worse next week for you oh. on campus with convocation. Yeah, well, they're already they're already here. They're already here. Oh, yeah, no, I saw them. Uh, I saw people in... In, um, grad gowns wandering around campus yep. when I'm I was less than they're graduating. Congratulations, but oh man, <laughs> congratulations! I'll get out, <laughs> get your stuff, get your diploma. <laughs> Scotty Hertz wants to see the back of you. <laughs> anyway, I have no pull, I'm just a cog in the machine. But anyway, again, uh, aren't we all? Open source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. As we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be the outgoing War II City Councilor James Gordon, who's going to be talking about his legacy on City Council, why he's decided to uh, take his leave now, and what he wants to do next. Uh, That's going to be at the bottom of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including the Conservative leadership race. Pierre Polivare is still winning. Now you know. But first, <laughs> but first, you may have heard about the events of January 6, 2021 at the United States Capitol. A, uh, you may not be aware of this. A What happened? <laughs> we're we're going to get into that. Uh, a select committee of members of Congress, mostly Democrat, but it is a bipartisan committee, is trying to get to the bottom of who was behind it, why they were behind it, and what needs to be done about it. Uh, they have started public hearings. They've actually been um, meeting for the, much of the last year, uh, over the last year, over a year. And they have collected thousands of documents, uh, interviewed hundreds of witnesses. And now we are seeing the results of that labor. There was an initial, um, let's say, introductory episode uh, last Thursday. There was uh, another two-hour hearing on monday there was uh well by the time you are listening to this there will have been episode three uh episode three will have dropped um (laughs) it's i mean and you know we kind of say that facetiously but uh they have really been producing this like a tv show and they've had an abc news producer sort of help them make it punchy and make it tight and I've, i've heard a lot of people who are you know political uh animals in the united states of saying they've never seen a congressional hearing where there was like no grandstanding it was all it was like all protein there was no you know people testifying for five minutes before asking a minute of questions to the witnesses so it has been a a very very tight show the question is uh will it have the requisite impact people are hoping yeah those are the burning questions will it affect the midterm uh, will will Trump be held accountable? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably not, in my opinion. But uh, the accountability the accountability will come in out of it if they are able to achieve, you know, to pinpoint, you know, did did Trump the the 
big question is, did Trump actually cause the January 6th riot? Most people would say yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's interesting what you're saying about the, the uh, TV coverage. I haven't been able to catch a lot of that, but I've been getting the bits and pieces and I did see a little bit of the, let's call it the kickoff last week with that, um, the person from the Capitol Police talking about the hand-to-hand combat and calling it a bloodbath. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. that you get these, the missing pieces a little bit because it doesn't, from the footage that came out at the time and you saw that there didn't seem to be actual blood, but you know, um, it, it sounds, you know, the the chaos that we saw was was probably way worse for anybody that was trying to defend the Capitol. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was a kickoff. And uh, who was it this week? Somebody from Fox was speaking, right? Um, mm-hmm. So what the their their ex political producer? Yeah, he's the guy who was like running the um, the the vote tally desk or like the vote verification desk, and uh, you know, it was his. Essentially, his call uh, that Arizona was in the Joe Biden column that, I guess, set things off. <laughs> Starwald, right? Starwald is his name, yeah. But interestingly, like, so Fox is is being called to question here, and I think he's no longer no longer with the firm. He was fired. Uh, yeah. What did he say? His quote was like, "Where you know, we don't decide these things. We're just nerds in the room making yeah. it happen." It reminded. Uh, Reminded me of us on election night a little bit. Like <laughs> nerds a, in the a room. different version. <laughs> the nerds in the room. We're not making it happen. But from what I'd heard, and I don't know if you've seen any of it, Adam, that uh, Hannity and Tucker Carlson are covering it, but they're just kind of talking over mm-hmm. uh, the proceedings with their own spiel, which is probably you know the the exact opposite of what is going on. Mm-hmm. So here they're being called to question, and yet it's like they're just they're just running interference. As they do, or as it seems that they have done, right? So mm-hmm. I'm not sure if Fox will receive any punishment or whatever, but I thought it was interesting, this guy testifying. Supposedly it was, I didn't actually see it, it was like very dynamic though. He was, he was like, just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're a bunch of nerds. And, uh, but yeah, this, but this, so it's just proving though that Fox is still at it. Fox is still running interference. Yeah. They, you said, they, I think they fired 16 people, mm-hmm. right? Let's clear out these people that aren't following the talking points, the Trump talking points, and, uh, you know, put in our own talking points because that's what we do. Yeah, no, there was um, because it was in prime time last Thursday that was running into Tucker and Sean's time. And so, yeah, they did sort of not show the hearing, unlike every other news channel. Uh, from what I understand, though, Fox did show the the hearing in full on monday but that was like during typical quote-unquote news time but i you know it's it's it shows like the power of like a few stars at the network that they're able to essentially craft their own reality um especially since sean hannity was one of the uh i guess supporting players um you know, one of the things they showed last Thursday was his text message to then press secretary Kaylee McInerney about like saying like none of this crazy, you know, election was stolen talk, like get all the crazy people out of the room, which I think it was almost a direct quote, um, <laughs> which, you know, and of course there was, there was this famous one where uh, Hannity says like, tell, tell Donald Trump to give Hunter Biden a blanket pardon to get the Dems on side, I guess as like a preventative measure so that the Democrats wouldn't impeach Trump again, which is like hilarious, but it's also had this like backlash effect. If you see on uh, like 
right wing social media where it's you know they're they're pretty much like cuckifying Sean Hannity now. It's like he's in on it because he was trying to uh, trying to offer Trump tips on getting Democrats on side, which of course is a no no in anyone's universe. But yeah, it's it's a tough time to be a programmer at Fox News because um, it is kind of clear there was a lot of aiding and abetting in some quarters with with a lot of what was going on. I guess people are turning to alternative media because whether mm-hmm. people like it or not, Fox is pretty much mainstream. <clears throat> um, <laughs> yeah, and that coming from Bill Barr too, the former uh, attorney general, right? Mm-hmm. Was he, he had some of the best lines, but one of which we can't repeat. But uh, yeah, it was like you were saying about the reality of the situation. His, he, he was saying these people seem to be detached from reality. Right. And who I mean, was it? The former campaign manager saying, no, 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 don't declare a victory. Like team, what are they calling it? The split is like team normal versus team Rudy Giuliani. Right. right. And I mean, Bill Stepien, who's the was the campaign manager, he was actually the second uh, campaign manager uh of the 2020 campaign Mm -hmm. like they they changed up in mid-july or it was not maybe it was mid-june after there was that disaster that disastrous tulsa trump rally that killed herman cain uh famously um oh yeah yeah (laughs) that was it was like scarcely attended because it was like right in the middle of the first wave of the pandemic um but bill stepien i mean he can talk about team normal all he wants but he is breaking it in from team abnormal because he's still uh his his public relations firm is still doing businesses with uh trump's save america pact uh he's still doing uh business with trump's don't call it a uh presidential campaign for 2024 um and he's also of all cockamamie things He's working on the Hagerman campaign. Um, Harriet Hagerman is the person who's trying to unseat Liz Cheney in Wyoming because Liz Cheney is uh, <laughs> is, is real team normal as opposed mm-hmm. to Bill Stepien. So, you know, he's, he's still in this. And I think that's the, sort of like one of the biggest concerns in all of this. I mean, there are two really big concerns. Number one is that even quote unquote team normal knows what side their what side of the bread is buttered. Um, and then the other part of this too, was the revelation about the proud boys and how deep the proud boys were involved in, in setting things off on Jan six, um, how they were essentially as, as Trump was speaking, they were up at the Capitol sort of getting things arranged. And there was the video pointing out all the people who were like breaking windows and stuff like the first people to sort of like actually break in were proud boys. And then the revelation that uh, Donald Trump's comments at the, the, the uh, presidential debate stand back and stand by had the effect of, uh, of tripling the, the recruitment of the proud boys. It's, I mean, that's kind of scary because I mean, stand back, stand by almost sounds kind of innocuous, but a lot of people decided they were going to stand up and stand by after Donald Trump said that. Yeah. On the one hand, it sounds off the cuff, but it's also a direct order, right? Mm-hmm. At least that, that's what it sounded like. Proud Boys, Oath Keepers were there. I'm not sure if Patriot Front uh, also in the news this week with the mm-hmm. Idaho Pride Parade and the their, their MO seems to be, let's rent a U-Haul and put everybody in it and we'll go and I don't know what's going on there. I think they may even be more extreme than the Proud Boys, if that's a possibility. But 
I'm sure I, I'm I, Proud Boys and Oath Keepers were there for sure. I'm not certain about the Patriot Front, but they they kind of all operate in that same uh, <clears throat> method, let's mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. The uh, yeah, I don't I don't like. <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought there. Like I said, it's the heat. No, it's the COVID. No way. Uh, I oh, I also caught uh, Ivanka. Oh, yeah. A little bit of that. And I I wasn't sure if that was all filter or what was going on. Not to judge, but I was like, at first I was taken aback, like, oh my goodness, who is that? But she was, I didn't hear all the testimony, but she she said she was backing Barr. Like she's kind of going against daddy on that one, eh? Saying, well, you know, I trust, I trusted his judgment. (laughs) Then he threw her uh, under the bus. He posts on Truth Social that, oh, Alfonca was checked out at that point. And it's like, yeah, I bet she probably was because unlike most of her siblings, uh, Ivanka understands the difference between right and wrong. She just doesn't care. Um, Yeah, yeah, that that was kind of damning that uh, she took Barr's word for it. And then... And did Kushner uh, testify too? or Yeah, he he testified. And that was where a lot of the team normal stuff was was coming from uh right. as well that you know he was hearing you know crazy things and he that he wasn't completely buying um also he he famously said that uh, the white house attorneys who were concerned about all the stolen election talk were a bunch he thought they were a bunch of whiners so that was another golden jared moment you know i guess <laughs> I, I guess i guess when your daddy buys your way into harvard you can look down your nose at the people who had to earn their degrees yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, it's it's also it's gratifying to see like people like Bill Barr say this is BS. But the flip side yeah. of it is too is that Bill Barr had every opportunity to use his platform to say that when he left the White House. And this is another thing, like with the 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 reputation facilitation industrial complex like people like mark esper who was like fired as defense secretary of the day after the election uh-huh. and who, who also recently wrote a book uh a, a mea culpa volume um all of these people knew what was going down and if i were mark esper i mean i wouldn't work for donald trump in the first place but mark esper in in that situation could have easily said like okay i'm fired i'm gonna call every newsroom in the district of columbia in the tri-state area and say hey Political reporters, you want to ask me some questions about working for Donald Trump? Meet me in the Arby's parking lot and I will stand there and <laughs> answer all your questions until um, until the <laughs> until the, the streetlights come on or whatever. So, I mean, that's the other disappointing thing is like what, listening to these people acknowledge in a hearing. Um, and I think Chris Hayes called it uh, down the block tough. So like, you know, when you get in an argument with someone and you don't say anything and then they walk down the block and then you say to them, yeah, well, let's see you come and say that to me next time, you know, (laughs) down the block tough. That was what it was like watching with some of these hearings, because all of these people could have said something in November, December 2020, and they chose not to. And that's, you know, given that the the Bill Stepien is, is still working for Donald Trump, even as he comes to testify against him. It's, you know, no, nobody's learned their lesson, which I think is the frightening thing in all of this. Yep. And there'll be more fallout too. Like you mentioned uh, Cheney there. I, I, she's pretty much falling on the sword to get at the mm-hmm. truth on this mm-hmm. one. So yeah, it doesn't. And there you go. It's like you said, team normal <laughs> doesn't mind taking the damage at this point 
or any political damage because she wants it to get out there <laughs> what actually happened don't worry about liz cheney robert reich of all cockamamie people's ready to join her presidential exploration committee so Whoa. it's yeah you didn't see wow. that in, in his no. bed yeah no i didn't see that liz cheney for president yeah yeah well could be worse <laughs> as we've learned right so uh- <laughs> Well, to be determined. As long as your dad isn't vice president, right? Uh, <laughs> or Christian Bale, for that matter. But anyway, yeah. I would I would almost welcome <laughs> Christian Bale as vice president. Um, heck, I'd almost welcome his American psycho character, Patrick Bateman, as president at this point. Anyway. Um, and that's end credits for this week. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. Speaking of um, psycho. No, don't say no, that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Sorry, redacted, redacted. That's, that's that that will not get edited out of the edit anyway. I should um, know by now, right? <laughs> so there is a conservative leadership race in Canada, in case you've forgotten. Um, Pierre Polyver is still the front runner, and it's pretty devastating when you look at some of the opinion polls, and maybe we'll get to them. But I mean, I, what's striking to me is that there's been a lot of focus on Patrick Brown the last few days. And I was just sort of like Googling to like get a sense of the thing um, in preparing for the episode. And Patrick Brown, there's been a lot of news about Patrick Brown, like Rebel Media posts a thing about how, and I'm not sure how much of this is true because it's Rebel Media, but that he's using <laughs> City of Brampton staff to work on his leadership race. Um, there were two MPs, current conservative MPs, who endorsed him, who have now gone to Polyvere. Um, and endorsed Pierre Polivare instead. There was a C- he was on West Block on Global, and they asked him point blank, "It's like, well, you know, are you prepared to give up your municipal career to, you know, maybe lose the leadership race?" And he's like, "Well, you know, maybe I could run for city, you know, a nominations close on August nineteenth." And he said, "You know, uh, if it looks like I'm going to lose to Pierre, which he is, um, maybe I'll <laughs> do that." Uh, but he said it was too early for that yet. So it just, it's just it's amazing to me how a man with, according to the most recent poll, has something like 10% support, according to oh, a narrative that research low, eh? poll, oh. that he's kind of gotten all the attention this week. <laughs> so who's in that poll, who is second? Second is actually none of the above. Is twenty one percent none of the above? Oh, so that that will be significant. I mean, yeah. I was I was wondering as to whether somebody like Leslie Lewis will be a bit of a spoiler, as it seemed that she was the last time. Well, Leslie again, Lewis is running four percent, and so oh, is wow, it's low. wow, and Roman Babe. I mean, here's the thing about this. Um, according to this narrative research poll, forty five percent for Pierre Polyver. Uh, 14 for Jean Charest, 10 for Brown, 4 for, four for Atchison, 4 for Lewis, and f- 1% for Roman Baber. So, <laughs> I mean, with Lewis, like, where else is Lewis and Baber's support going to go but to Polyver? So that's that, that, like, tips him over to 50 mm-hmm. um, within two rounds. So, because yeah, they have a pretty interesting electoral system, which is a ranked ballot. Yeah. Which is something we should consider for the wider, you know, they're, they're okay doing it within the party, but yeah, <laughs> you know, for bigger picture stuff, it's like, no, like the entire election is a good example. Yeah. But anyway, uh, they'll never argue for it, but yeah, going back to Patrick <laughs> Brown, what was that? His comment this week, they, somebody finally read his book. I've never met anybody that's read it <laughs> calling social conservatives dinosaurs. And he's, he had to backpedal. He's like, Oh, I didn't, you know, that language mm. was uh, 
not appropriate. So there's lots of hammering of, of Brown going on, e mm -hmm. even though, like you said, if he's at 10%, I mean, that's, that's a swing percentage, I suppose. But Polyev mm -hmm. is claiming that he signed up 312,000 memberships, and that's of 600,000. So the last election that they had, they had 270,000 paid members ready to vote. And I guess they still have to do a bit of vetting to make sure that, like, Big Bird and Ayn Rand haven't signed up again, right? More, more like IP freely and huge ass, but go on. Or a Bobby Bitcoin. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, actually, I, would have, I wonder if anybody's asked Polyev on his, uh, how his Bitcoin balance is doing these days. <gasps> El Salvador, for that matter. But, you know, anyway. <laughs> huge digression there. But, yeah, so it's like if the problem or the concern for them always is do these, okay, you've signed up pretty much half of mm -hmm. the people that can vote. Mm -hmm. Not only are they valid, is it, are they going to come out for you? Mm -hmm. Or is it just, yeah, sure. I'll sign up. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. So, if they, but it's, and, but there's a, the process is, is mail in and well, not intense, but it's, you, ha, you have to have things lined up, but then there's this lull too. Is, so do even the, the registered conservatives start to lose interest in the thing as people seem to do with all elections these days. And then they just go, ah, it's going to be, it's going to be Pierre. We don't need to worry. And then it's like, well, no, actually uh, I have had well, a thought about that, either, but yeah, I, I have had a thought about that because I mean, there's no debate scheduled for, um, between now and September. So mm. it's, you know, it's all, it's going to be all sort of like hand to hand, um, you know, not combat, but like can't like uh, in person appearances and media. Yeah. yeah, media appearances and things like that. Uh, there's no real chance to see everyone face. Not that the previous conservative debates so far have been especially enlightening, <laughs> but um, there, there's kind of like no kind of organized campaign to to like get people excited about the possibility and maybe it's because this is like the third leadership race in six years um people are kind of from seven years no six years um so, so it's hard to get people excited um and and maybe you know conservative voters are just looking forward to it. the thing about the the polyvar numbers i will note jean charay tried to put some meme points on the board by saying that uh, he thought Pierre Polyver was inflating the numbers. He called it Pierre inflation. And I got to tell you, <laughs> if this is the meme game Jean Charest is bringing to this campaign, uh, he's, he's very out of his depth. Like Pierre inflation just doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> no. And yeah, I mean, he's the old lion in this race, right? Like you would mm. think there'd be more there, but there isn't somehow. He's just. There's no. There doesn't seem to be any energy mm -hmm. with Share. And <clears throat> there was a time where he would have done quite well, right? It's just he sure. just seems so much like yesterday's man, right? Mm -hmm. That it's just. I don't think he can. He and he used to really... be the young buck too. Yeah. It's you know and that goes that goes a long way for a time. Yeah. Now Pierre is the young buck. There. The yeah. Young buck types have changed quite a bit since Share's day, right? So. I mean, and that's the, the the dynamic that is making so much of this interesting is that Pierre is going right over Jean Charest to get at Patrick Brown. Um, and it's like they're, they're two peas in a pod. Like they're mm -hmm. both two guys who don't know how to cope if they don't have a job in government. Um, and that's how they've lived their entire lives uh, is, you know, with the exception of 
the the days Pierre tried to start like a conservative like public relations committee and when Patrick Brown was like a restaurateur before he went into federal politics it's you know otherwise these guys have spent their entire adult lives in government jobs so I, I do wonder how much of this is like they see something in each other that they hate in themselves that they completely discount Jean Charest and are going at it even though Pierre Polivare has fundraised over half a million dollars and Patrick Brown has gotten his butt kicked in fundraising even by leslin lewis leslin lewis has two hundred twenty six thousand dollars in fundraising versus brown who has a little less than one hundred sixteen thousand. so it's uh you know i i can't help but feel that you know patrick brown has really kind of underestimated his own or overestimated his own allure here he called you probably could have see, sailed fairly easily to a good solid re-election in brampton and continued to to dine well uh, as one of the the mayor of one of uh, Canada's largest cities, but he seems to have put all his chips on this, which is you know why we get that interesting West Block comment from from the weekend. <laughs> yeah. it's like, do you think it's too late for you to go back and run for re-election in Brampton? <laughs> it would be weird if he signed up for that, but he did say that he he wasn't going to run for uh, Pierre Polyev led Conservative yeah. Party, right? So. Yeah. But the guys, would- all, the guys all over the place. And that's the thing, like going back to Leslie Lewis for a second, mm-hmm. on paper, she seems like the best candidate to me. Like if you're just reading somebody's CV, you'd say, okay, PhD, do- Dr. Leslie Lewis, right? Mm-hmm. Teaches at Osgoode Hall. But then she goes to, let's call it dinosaur land to quote <laughs> Patrick Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you you can't pull back from that, right? So, yeah, I mean, the optics of having a black woman as the head of the conservative party would be uh, incredibly interesting. Um, but and, you, and she's she, she can't win with, home yeah. with that, the independent are trying to track down. Like, it's that is an interesting writing as well. So, yeah, she can't win with the platform that she's running on, though. And I mean, even like super moderate people like Scott Atchison, who, um, you know, famously said at a debate that, you know, every time a conservative candidate talks about conspiracy theories, they lose the GTA. Even he's like, I'm for yeah. repealing the carbon tax. And it's like, oh, like, really? That's worse. It, 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 yeah. <laughs> it went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court says, like, no, it's fine. And we're still we're, we're still egging to get rid of it i mean you know at least at least follow roman babersley to talk about getting rid of the news uh subsidy so <laughs> yeah and what's he gonna do too it sounds like he he currently just talks at after school programs i couldn't find anything else he was doing it's like you know that's what people like get out of jail do right so <laughs> or get out of the Ontario and, government. You know, good, good for them but like this sorry this is this is your career right now he's some kind of lawyer right it doesn't it doesn't matter it well, doesn't matter. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to brainstorm some career options for Roman Baber another day. In the meantime, <laughs> we're going to talk about somebody else who's leaving the government job, and he's going to tell us all about it uh, after the break. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. She says no point speeding back to your place. I've got no other plans As they lay there bleeding on the freeway He takes her by the hand I never wanted to disappoint you 
least I'll never even get the chance to We could be strangers for one night longer And that was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week, Royal Cat Records 21 Magdanel in downtown Guelph. Last I looked, that song was, or the album anyway, was 22 on the CFRU chart. The album is called Chloe in the Next 20th Century. The artist is Father John Misty. And the song is We Could Be Strangers. Mm-hmm. What? Then again, we might not be. Is, is there a story behind that song? Uh, why I picked it? No, I just like this. For once, I just like the sound of it. There was no uh, rip your mask off. You're no longer strangers. You're well, sharing I, everything, including yeah. I mean, joke. You can joke you want, but there was a, a, a post on the the Mercury Tribune, and I was like, "Isn't it nice to see smiles again?" And it was like, "Oh uh, man!" The first time I heard that line, I was like, my head literally blew up. I and now I, it's like, it's just. <laughs> Be careful, or I might use unparliamentary language. We better. Oh, dear. And it's before 6 p.m. Oh, dear. Um, All right. We're going to throw it to James Gordon, who is the outgoing War 2 city councillor. He has decided not to run. He is one of four city councillors who has decided that this term will be his last. He is going to return to his uh, first job, which he will tell you is being an international rock star. But uh, James has always had his fingers in many pies. And uh, so we thought it'd be interesting to talk to him about why he's retiring from official city politics. He'll still be you know, involved in politics in some way, shape or form. And um, how he felt his, his tenure on city council has been, if he's made a difference and um, his advice for the next generation of Guelph city councilors. So why don't we hit play on our interview with... I almost forgot his name for a minute. War two, Councillor James Gordon. <laughs> Let's hit play on the interview with, with uh, Mr. Gordon, starting right now. All right, James Gordon, thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome. I will note that uh, unlike this week's council meeting, the technology is working in our favor today. So far, so good. So far, so good. <laughs> Don't jinx it, knock wood. Oh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're here to talk about you. Um, you announced <laughs> that you are uh, you are not seeking re-election this fall. So, um, tell us about your decision. Uh, what? Why are? Why are? Why are you two two terms and done? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, um, another pop culture reference is eight years is enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think. There was a lot of factors, and it was not an easy decision to make. Um, the One of the biggest ones was, and I mentioned this in my little, I don't know if you call that a resignation letter or a letter of intent, but um, <laughs> I, I have for a long time been advocating for a council horseshoe that resembled what the city looks like now. Um, we're by and large, a bunch of old white guys (laughs) and we by and large come from a certain economic strata too. I would say there, it, it just doesn't reflect what Guelph has become. And I feel like in advocating for that, 
it would be very disingenuous of me to say, well, yeah, we need to change this council up, except for me, keep me. (laughs) 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 And the other couple of reasons, Adam, was it, I never really thought this was a career path for me. I wanted to see, I'd been an activist, um, an advocate for a long, long time. And there was a decision at some point to see, well, instead of standing out in front of City Hall with waving a placard and protesting, would I, would it be effective for me to try to work for change from the inside? And so I did, and I'm glad that I did. And I'm pleased that some people think that, that the, whatever I contributed meant something to, to some of them. Uh, however, there are other ways. I, I have lots of other sidelines, <laughs> one of them which used to be my main line, <laughs> um, <laughs> that, uh, that I, I still think I have things to contribute with. And it, it's been hard for those other things I'm involved in when, as you know, that one of the biggest discussions we had in this last term is that I believe that this council job is actually a full-time job mm-hmm. um, for part-time pay. And until that changes, uh, I think it, it no longer juiced me as much to do a, a third term. Um, but I think that as we shift towards that, we are making some concessions towards making it a job that would appeal more to some people from uh, different aspects of our society. But until that happens, it it felt like a bit of the same old, same old. Mm. And I'm not a same old, same old kind of a guy. I went to the trouble of looking up your the, the first um, the first survey for Guelph Politico that you did when you ran in 2014. Well, and, 
And you, you said you had sort of two main goals. And one of them was to work to attract more green jobs and more innovative tech sector jobs to Guelph. And the other one was to close the Delime Quarry. Now, uh, for people who know yeah. um, and been following, Delime is going to be closed some yes. point in the not too distant future. We have had tremendous success attracting um, not necessarily green tech jobs, but like innovative sector around like food and, and food security and yeah. food development. Uh, so I guess, you know, <laughs> job done. Okay, job done. You, is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting to revisit that and seeing, like, I don't know if how, how like sort of proactive you were thinking about those things these whole eight years, but it is yeah. to note that uh, your, your two main goals have been more like, yeah. huh? Jeez. No, I, <laughs> one of the, one of the disadvantages of being a senior citizen is I can't remember past last Tuesday. So thanks for that reminder. <laughs> <laughs> uh does that still make sense like you know has that been in the back of your head this whole time i mean joking aside oh, it, no. you know well I, I in one way like the the dolime quarry issue is something that i was involved in before i became a counselor or before i ran it actually was a key platform when i ran provincially um all those years ago for the first time. And I think it was, you know, it was an important issue, but it was also indicative of a, a direction that I thought the whole city needed to go in, which was to make sure that our, our resources, our environmental sustainability come before our corporate interests. And that is related to that other point about the green sector, I, I think, I wouldn't say that that one you mentioned was top most of mine during those eight years, but it really was important for me to bring kind of a grassroots element to what I was offering. And that's where that sustainability, um, commu um, community values uh, come, come into play. And that that does take place in the the economic sector as far as what where we're looking for our jobs um what what our city is what, what kind of people we need to attract here what gives them the best quality of life so it, yeah it's all pretty related <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um in terms of you know you put you write things down when you're running for office this is yeah. what i'm gonna do crises emerge you know new sure. issues emerge um so leaving what you wrote down aside yeah. i'm mean, looking back at you know your time at council what do you consider your you know one of your most successful initiatives um something you're, you're going to be proud of looking back oh um i would say <clears throat> it's funny when i when i signed up for this gig I would have never classified myself as what you'd call a climate change expert. Um, <laughs> however, it was something of keen interest to me, and I educated myself. I still sit on both the provincial and the national um, caucuses for elected officials in climate change, and it really tapped me into a community uh, nationwide that allowed me to see, well, what what is possible? What's the sense of urgency? And I think that... Uh, I've helped to contribute to a more robust 
climate change policy citywide. And as you probably more than anyone could have told, that was very prolonged and a lot more controversial than I ever guessed it would be. Like mm. just to learn what the resistance was to something that felt like a no brainer to me really pointed to a bit of a schism that we have uh, in this city around our attitudes towards that. <laughs> so it was hard work. <laughs> Alternatively though, I would say that, you know, that meeting last at the end of last year where you're talking about sort of advancing the city's corporate yeah. climate change goals that brought out a lot of young people who might not have otherwise talked to city council. Yes. Yeah. And in fact, uh, the other issue that I've followed for my whole time on council are water security issues. Mm. And I was so thrilled. Um, I, I was in tears in my first speech about the, there was a, a meeting that we held about Nestle and drawing or threatening our groundwater. Right. And they, there was so many people that came to the meeting um, that they had to set up remote cameras outside and there was crowd. And I looked out and for the first time I saw young parents with their little kids there um, to find issues that resonate with right across the board it is very valuable and exciting to see because again, Adam Donaldson would see this more than a lot of people. We get the regular suspects coming out pretty well every week. Right. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so to see that broadening of people's interest, their concerns and being able to find ways to address the concerns. And you're, you're correct though, with the, the climate one, it brought out a lot of people. I think it, the job was, and it, it was frustrating how how difficult that job was and how tricky. Eventually, there was pretty good consensus on council about this. Once they saw all those people coming out, once they saw uh, the community use their voice, that that really this is what this kind of activity is in the community's best interests, whether some of the politicians thought so or not. Well, I mean, it helps that it's kind of a rarity that you pack the gallery. And if yeah. the, ga the gallery is packed and you know it's an issue that matters. That's right. That's yeah. right. And there's a flip side to that, too. You you probably always wondered. I, I've always been gobsmacked at how few people show up to, to uh, talk about the budget every yeah. year. Yeah. <laughs> and but because it's the it's the thing probably the most frustrating part of my job is that it's a default reaction to everything across the board. Any issue we're talking about is, Oh, well, that'll be too expensive. My taxes will go up. Mm. And yet when we actually come to discussing the taxes and how much they won't like go up, nobody's there except mm. that those a few usual suspects. Right. So right. I would like to think that if there's a reason for that, it's because as a council, we have to establish a level of trust that we are looking after your <laughs> your tax dollars. We're giving you the best value for it, even though it it might be going up. Here's what you're getting for it. Here's the value you're getting for that. And maybe the fact that few people show up means that they they agree with that. That okay, we must be doing that. <laughs> but there are so many times, right, where you know 
just to pick an issue out of the hat, the library yeah. where you get yeah. a, a ton of stuff online where people are talking about no one goes to the library anymore. Oh, yeah. No, you know, this is too expensive. Like, why are we yeah. wasting money? Councils in the pocket of big library or whatever. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, you know, you those, you, you know, and you, you were at those meetings, too, where you get sure. 30 delegates and it's like 30 for 30 are in favor of building that Correct. library. And so, yeah. it, you know, what it and, and I think and I've talked to Phil about this. Um, council puts a lot of weight on the people who show up in person. It does make a big difference. And I, I often wish we could impart that information more to the public saying that you, you make the effort to show up. That makes such a big difference. And it makes more difference than I often get citizens calling and saying, we're putting a petition together. Um, and I say, don't <laughs> like that. Well, go ahead, do it. But yeah, we we get so much paper thrown at us that yeah. it loses its value. Right. But showing up in person to be there does send quite a strong signal. Um, and you can tell that I can see certain councillors who had thought of voting a particular way look out at that gallery, and if they're all packed in one way, going, "Geez, I'm." I'm going to lose votes if I vote this way. And (laughs) it has that kind of thing does have an impact. And I'm glad you mentioned the library too. I I mean, it's been a really important thing for me and uh, a never ending frustration. (laughs) I don't know, Adam, how many times have we actually voted yes on the library? We seem to have to do it every few months. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It it does seem to uh, keep hitting mysterious new roadblocks. Yeah. Uh, and we but should we'll get that we'll get there it looks we'll like get there so yeah and, we, and yeah. we should we should note you're on the library board so that is correct uh, deeply yeah. personal yeah i asked this to mike schreiner at, at, the, at the end of last year and i i always do kind of do so delicately because i don't want to make it sound like uh, this was a good time but people don't get into politics to sort of manage things you know to, to keep things sort of where they are to keep things in the oh. mushy middle but you know, we were coming out of you know two and a half years of a pandemic where everything was thrown yeah. up in the air. Do you feel like you were able to rise to that challenge? That un- that you know nobody saw it oh. coming. Everything was on the table. You know how did mm-hmm. you know how do you feel you coped as a, as a politician uh, as a community leader? That's a really good question. I think the job description changed so much during COVID. And I'm sure Mike would say this too, that I'm still trying to catch up to that. It, <laughs> it, it, it involved so many changes, some of them just technical, as we talked about earlier, but the, the sort of isolation. But the, the biggest challenge, and I, I don't know if it's for me to say whether I've met that challenge or not, it'd be for others to, to notice that everybody was stressed, if still are, everyone stressed out, grumpy. Um, there are, a lot of them are at home. So f- there was a whole year when the volume of phone calls I would get <laughs> really went up. But the, uh, what I didn't handle well is mostly these phone calls come from people who are at home. They're, uh, they're feeling isolated. Oh, I'm going to call my counselor and complain about something right? <laughs> where, <laughs> where they mightn't have before. And I don't think I handled it well when quite a few of them were like, I remember calls in those early days of COVID saying, well, hey, the, I'm looking out my front window and they moved the mailbox 
like 10 feet down the street and, <laughs> and then or or the uh, the snow plow the, the the sidewalk plow went down the sidewalk and i swear counselor gordon they were an inch over my lawn uh-huh. and then so i want to have empathy but people were dying <laughs> right <laughs> and, and, and there were so many things to, to, to uh that we needed to be focused on that we were more urgent that I, my reaction was often, yeah. come on, are you serious? Yeah. And that's not what they wanted to hear. Right. But it, it shifted my own view of what are our, what are our real essential issues that we have to deal with and what can we maybe put aside until we've dealt with some of these things. So, and, and there was a lot of people were angry too. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't think I was particularly good at managing that, but you have to f- find a way to to steer through that that shift that's happened. <laughs> I will I will say, as someone who walks around a lot in the winter, uh, the the sidewalk plows get quite a few ding, quite a few lawns along. The yes, line. it's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, looking back, uh, you know, anything you would do differently? Any regrets? Uh hmm. That's- Good question. I think that I know this sounds strange, but it it relates to my when I've ma- announced this decision. Mm. Um, I still have things I want to do, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and uh, apparently, it's partly my fault to add to the list of incumbents not running again that we're about to enter this lame duck period. Yeah, and I I didn't guess that it would be that big a deal, but. <laughs> <laughs> but now when I'm now when I'm bringing ideas forward or say, hey, maybe I'd like to bring this motion, everybody just puts up their hand <laughs> and says, no, no, like, it's too late. Our agenda's full. Or yeah. if we decide about that, maybe the next council will change their mind. So I wish I had my little bucket list of things I wanted to get done. Mm-hmm. I wish I had gone after it sooner. Mm-hmm. And there, and this is another. I don't know if this is a a cultural thing on council or on staff, but I would have brought more things forward, except there is a certain inertia that happens right. when count, um, we get a, for, a, a forecast of what things we need from staff that we need these decisions made by then. And there was often a, sort of an unspoken resistance to councillors just running with projects that look like it's their pet projects instead of mm-hmm. dealing with the issues at hand. But I think that I didn't think they were pet projects. I was bringing them forward because no one else was. So, right. so I, I kind of had wished I had been a bit more aggressive in that area. I think that's maybe an important note to anyone who wants to run for council, that there is an inertia to things. Um, you know, staff has their plans Yeah. Um, you know, there are things that are required from the provincial level, from the, federal level that yep. you know uh one counselor with their pet project sure doesn't necessarily get the and, and and i think that's true to the community too i you know maybe this speaks to you know some of those phone calls you're mentioning that there's just like oh. a rakeout where if there's like <laughs> one meeting a month where yeah. people can come to city council and rake out their grievances maybe that's... we could <laughs> maybe, yeah yeah maybe we could get sure. a little more problem solving juice going i don't know yeah that's that's always <laughs> That's always been in the back of my mind. But, you know, you said you wanted to stay active. You want to help, you know, foster the next generation of leadership. Sure. So um, 
what's your advice to people who are running for office, especially like some of these different uh, communities that you you're hoping maybe yeah. step up and get a seat on council? Yeah, well, I think the advice would be, uh, even though politicians probably have to have a certain ego to think that they would, people would want them to be their leaders. Um, think about it. It's not, it's not all about you. Mm. You're, you're a, uh, you should, I think an effective politician would be someone who is a vehicle for moving forward what they're hearing in, in the community. Um, not the other way around. Like it's tempting to say, gee, I, I really think we need, um, more bike trails in the East end because I often bike there. Um, it would be more appropriate to say, okay, where I'm hearing from at the community level that this is needed, I'll be your champion and I'll try to bring that forward. Mm -hmm. So, so almost sometimes reversing priorities that way. So listening, I still believe that municipal government is the most, has the most potential for being democratic, inclusive, um, you know, those grassroots voices can matter, but we lose track of it pretty easily. So really focusing on what the potential for change at the municipal level is. Um, and I mean, this is another reason we, we haven't talked about yet why the job started to wear on me. Mm. Um, it's, you, you mentioned it before about accentuating what's possible instead of what looking at what's gone wrong. Yeah. Um, you may have known, it was not a coincidence that my announcement came the day after the provincial election. Mm. And my advice to, you know, anyone else coming in, it can get really frustrating that with our particular current provincial government, we... And so that was... Municipalities uh, kind of exist at the whim of, of the province. Um, and although you'll probably still hear in my two yeah, terms, time time it's is, changed uh, so much. Well, about uh, the influence that province, the, a heavy-handed approach in residence. Um, they um, have to find ways to get title, around but, uh, that. Uh, and might as well be. the worst yeah. one that you I'm sure would see every couple of weeks, Adam, is the year is we out. used to have developers oh, come out to pitch their cases for something that they wanted to build. I want to build this condominium. They don't even show up anymore because they know that. No, where if the decision goes against open. them, they it's can just laugh and they can take it to a provincial tribunal and they'll win. Open, open right? is in the title. So it really undermines <laughs> the authority That's a new of open. what we're in as a municipality. <laughs> but anyone else coming into the job, oh, if you let that get you too frustrated, there will be even more show. inertia. We Nothing will happen and we have to connect to us. That's a, that's a major job to realize the potential and what can be done municipally. And if it's not happening... Lobbying, if you'd like to listen to this show again, you can to download that, it from our website every Monday from the Guelph Politicast channel on Pragmatic or That's through good. your favorite yeah. podcast <laughs> Wait app, Apple, Stitcher, that down. Google, okay. TuneIn, <laughs> and Spotify. You can find uh, me personally last on question. Twitter and Instagram uh, at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can go to my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.com. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I thought I'd end it with a joke. Check out CFRU.ca. Thank you. And more Thank live you for your time and uh, for all your, yeah, your service yeah, it's, on it's, council it's these last happening. eight years. It's it's all right. 
Great. Thanks. It's always been great anyway, working with you. Uh, we, ne- yeah. <laughs> we, we, we never left and we'll be back next week. Um, but there's more great programming here at the top of the hour on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. As I said just a few seconds ago, we will be back next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more open sources and we will see you then. Yeah.